Hey, it's Dan Diamond, and in a moment you'll hear me and Politico Dispatch host Jeremy Siegel continue our coverage of the coronavirus pandemic, and specifically how the Georgia Senate outcome could shape what's next. But first, I wanted to talk about the riots at the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday, which hadn't yet begun when we sat down to record the show. As someone who knows that magnificent building and deals every day with so many public servants who work inside, Wednesday was scary. It was malignant. It wasn't lost on me that so many of the rioters pouring into the U.S. Capitol's offices weren't wearing masks, even though we're at the height of a raging pandemic, whether that's because they didn't care or the same misinformation that led them to protest the election has convinced them that COVID isn't a threat. I don't know. But there were aides and reporters and staff who were put in harm's way to say nothing of the lawmakers who had to be pulled from the floor. And there's a video that stuck with me where you can hear the rioters trying to break into the House chamber. You can see Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal sheltering and hear Congresswoman Lisa Blunt Rochester praying for peace and safety. These are officials I've dealt with. You may have even heard their interviews on this show. And to see them fearful for their lives, for the lives of their colleagues, their staff, as there's a riot in the background getting closer, I I am going to be thinking about that video for a while. And the President of the United States pushed the nation down this path with his false and reckless claims of election fraud. Politico Dispatch will devote its episode in full to what happened at the Capitol on Wednesday. And if you're listening to Pulse Check right now, and especially if you live and work in D.C., if you have people that you care about at the Capitol, I hope this is the darkest day in in a while and that we can get back to the policymaking and and politicking that is more normal, like what happens after two Democrats win the Georgia Senate. But I guess we'll see. Here's our show today. Mr. Diamond, hello. Mr. Siegel, how are you? I am good. Uh, did you did you miss your favorite weekly ritual over the holidays? Not only did I miss you, but I'm at my dad's house in Baltimore as we speak, and he misses you. He's been asking after you. I might have to <laughs> put him on this call when we're done. <laughs> Looking forward to it, but uh, th- this is this is a little awkward. I wasn't talking about us. Uh, I was talking about The Bachelor. The new season of The Bachelor starts right now. Matt is like the most gorgeous man I've ever seen. He just keeps getting <laughs> Which uh, came back new season this week. <laughs> you may be more fixated on that show than me. I'm, I'm a little behind, I'm sad to say. <laughs> Hello, Pulse Check listeners. This is Dan Diamond coming to you from Baltimore, Maryland, not Washington, D.C. today. Welcome to our special Pulse Check series on the coronavirus outbreak. Today, I'm in conversation with my colleague, Jeremy Siegel, from our daily Dispatch podcast. And we're looking at what a Democratic Senate could mean for the federal government's response to the pandemic. Here's our conversation. Dan, Democrats have won both runoffs in Georgia. John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock beat the incumbent Republicans. How would you say the coronavirus pandemic played into this election. There was a public health reality on the ground in Georgia these past 
few weeks, and that's the pandemic, the pandemic that has affected all states, but it's spiking in Georgia. The state was seeing more than 10,000 new cases per day in recent weeks, and that's well up from the previous spike. Uh, Over the summer, there were a couple thousand new cases per day, and that's meant headlines have been all about COVID-19, people getting sick, hospitals being crowded, and what Washington is doing or not doing to help. And there has been very little relief coming for months from Washington, a COVID relief package that House Democrats pushed, stalled in the Senate. There were lots of reasons for that breakdown, but part of it was the election year. And while COVID relief was signed into law about a week and a half ago, the lack of that package became a real sticking point. It became a referendum. And while President Trump, through his support behind $2,000 stimulus checks, an idea that Democrats really wanted, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, he didn't want to do it. And that put Senators Perdue and Leffler in a real bind. They had to answer all kinds of questions about what they were doing or not doing to aid Georgia residents. Meanwhile, the Democratic challengers, Warnock and Ossoff, they, they pledged, vote for us, you get help. So the pandemic was a through line in many ways as important, maybe even more important than the election integrity claims that President Trump uh, spuriously brought up. I mean, beyond the pandemic, the roots of these elections and John Ossoff's candidacy in Georgia also has roots in healthcare, right? I mean, yeah, isn't it wild? And I, I think what's absolutely fascinating is the world would not know John Ossoff if Donald Trump hadn't gone into Georgia four years ago and picked then Congressman Tom Price to be his health secretary. And by picking Tom Price, who represented a conservative Republican district that had elected people like Newt Gingrich in the past, was seen as a very safe Republican seat, that set up a special election. National Democrats were energized. They were so angry about Trump that they threw money, resources behind this 30-year-old challenger named John Ossoff, who total political newcomer, a, a guy who hadn't run for office before, and he made it surprisingly close with Karen Handel, who won, Asaf lost, but he set up a national brand for himself. He set up national fundraising. So when he came back a few years later to run for Georgia Senate, he was a known commodity, not just in the state, but nationally. And I think if Trump had picked any other person to fill HHS secretary, there's a very good chance that John Ossoff would not have emerged in the political spotlight the way he did. And for picking Tom Price, it's it's kind of wild what the White House got or didn't. Tom Price only ended up serving seven months or so as HHS secretary. He left the department after his charter jet scandal that we at Politico reported on. So for that decision, Trump, Tom Price, Georgia Republicans, they lost Tom Price's seat a few years later to a Lucy McBath, a Democrat. And now they they inadvertently elevated John Ossoff to the U.S. Senate. So with the backdrop of all of that, Democrats have taken the Senate, meaning the party controls the White House and both chambers of Congress. What does that mean for the country's coronavirus response? I think that COVID relief is going to be coming. More will come. More will come soon. It will be more of what the Democrats want. There is already a pledge from President-elect Biden that he supports those $2,000 stimulus checks. It wouldn't be surprising to see those in the near future. And the Biden administration coming in has already said they're going to appeal to Congress to fund their own 
ambitious plan to combat COVID-19. So that will be dominant on Capitol Hill, that, that fight in the weeks and months to come. But Democrats have more momentum on their side if they've got all the chambers. The need to get 60 votes around legislation in the Senate still exists, except there is the budget reconciliation tool, which has been used by both Democrats and Republicans in the past to pass uh, financial packages with a simple majority. So I, I think we will see a lot of fighting over COVID relief. I also think we'll just see bills that otherwise might have stalled in previous years make their way to the Senate floor. The HEROES Act, which Democrats worked on in the spring of last year, there was virtually no action in the Senate until the end of the year on what ended up being that final relief package. And meanwhile, Biden and his team, they're trying to just bring in talent, put people in the health agencies, coordinate whatever federal response to COVID-19. If they have the Senate under their control, that makes it so much easier for Democrats to speed through their nominees rather than have to worry about extended nomination fights. So it sounds like a lot could change. But I'm curious, I mean, critics of the current president and loads of public health experts have said that the Trump administration fumbled a lot of the COVID response from the beginning, essentially setting the U.S. on a dangerous path over the past year. Um, Even with control of all arms of the top levels of government, how much can really be changed when it comes to the pandemic, like passing these bills, what can they really do? And how much of it is sort of just inevitably remaining on the path that Trump's White House sent us on last year? Why don't we just pick up with the end of that, the path that Trump's White House set us on? If there's going to be a Biden White House, and as we speak, there's no reason to doubt that, the Biden team will have its own portfolio of measures whether the president will speak every day about the need to wear masks and socially distance ourselves rather than rail about the election results. He'll use that bully pulpit in a different way. And his team will message in a more aggressive way, I think, about the COVID protections we need. There will probably be more aggressive ad campaigns coming. Some of that may have been begun under Trump, but I know that's something that the Biden team really wants to see through. And then on the congressional side, the ability of committees to move legislation faster, to call up legislation that may have begun in the Democratic House and hear it out in the Senate, that that is a big deal. And on the flip side, the committees are going to be focusing probes in a different way. This past year, Democrats launched a House Select Committee devoted to investigating the coronavirus response. That Select Committee became a real thorn in the Trump administration's side. I'm Sure, listeners have seen the work from that committee, even if they didn't realize it. I had a scoop a few weeks ago on emails uh, sent by Paul Alexander, the now former Trump health official, writing to other officials in the government, calling for Americans to get infected by COVID, the argument that that would lead to uh, so-called herd immunity. That email was dug up by the House Select Committee on Coronavirus. So if Democrats control all the branches of government, it's really unlikely that the Democrats in charge of these committees in Congress are going to be putting the Biden administration under the same sort of spotlight that a Republican majority in the Senate would have. All right, we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be back in a minute after a message from our sponsor. 
We've been talking about some of the problems with the Trump administration's response and how it could change under a Democratic Senate president and House. But on the other end, the Trump administration's efforts on vaccine development appear to have been largely successful. Several candidates were pushed quickly through regulatory processes. They they look really good for successfully vaccinating people. I know this is just politics in a lot of ways, but do you think we could end up with a situation where Democrats are like dunking an alley-oop from the Trump administration on this, where they're getting credit for finishing off a Republican White House's plan to beat the White House that could end up working. Interesting sports metaphor. I might want to go a different direction, which is if you've seen those crazy laterals at the end of a football game uh, where the ball is kind of being thrown around and you're not sure if the team's going to be able to score, they're going to get tackled. Mm-hmm. I, I sort of feel like we're in that in that <laughs> position right now. I mean, yes, the Trump administration did do a lot of work and, and deserves credit, I believe, on rushing vaccination development. But rushing the development versus rushing the vaccines in the arms of Americans, that's where we are at this moment. And there are real problems and challenges. The pace is well behind what the Trump administration had promised. They had said their goal was 20 million Americans getting shots in arms by end of 2020. We only got to about 4 million Americans, so less than a quarter of of their goal. What will probably end up happening is the Biden administration does build on what the Trump administration did, whether it's taking that alley-oop or, or more in my metaphor, uh, grabbing the football after it's been thrown across the field and you know racing down and getting credit. But there, there is a lot left to do before we can say that the Biden team will successfully deliver. I, I don't think we know yet, Jeremy, how good their people are going to be, how good their processes will be. And we could easily find ourselves in a situation in mid-February where the new Biden administration has miscalculated in some way, too. So there's a high probability that Biden will get to take victory laps for what Trump did. But that doesn't mean it's a guarantee. To stick with your uh, football metaphor here, we've sort of been talking about a team that that's really on the same page, you know, been going to all the same practices together, really like each other. But I mean... You know, Democrats in the House, in the Senate, in the White House, they're not likely to be totally unified over the next year. Um, Obviously, there are deep divisions in the party, especially for health issues beyond the coronavirus pandemic that you've been tracking over the years. Even with narrow control here, what sort of inner battles do you think we could see in the coming months over health policy beyond coronavirus? Nothing brought the Democrats together like President Trump, and that extended beyond Washington. I think as we're reflecting today on what's happened in the country, President Trump came in, Republicans controlled the White House, the Senate, and Congress. Four years later, it looks like they're not going to control any of them. So he was a rallying force. And with him gone, yes, the Democrat majorities will find new ways to disagree on legislation, possibly turn on each other over bigger priorities. This has happened before, it will happen again. I think we will see fights over universal coverage, Medicare for all, creep back in. There were loud calls for better coverage during the COVID pandemic and all of the various health problems that Americans experienced, not just in this past year, but will likely experience as as long-term effects from this pandemic moving forward. Physical effects from being infected, the long-term questions around COVID, the mental health challenges from this horrible, horrible past year we've lived through. 
So I think that is something that will reappear. And you mentioned, Jeremy, the narrow control. Democrats lost about a dozen seats in the recent House elections. And President-elect Biden is planning to pick a few House members, Cedric Richmond, Marsha Fudge, for his White House and agencies. So there's a chance that the margin might get down to just a couple of people, two, three, four votes in the coming weeks and months, especially if there are congresspeople who somehow get sick with COVID, otherwise incapacitated. It's going to be incredibly narrow. And I think we will see new battles emerging on the fringes that are even hard to predict today. Members who might not have a national profile, but leap into the gap because they've got a pet issue and they've got the leverage to make it a big spotlight problem. All right, that is our show for this week. I'm Dan Diamond. My thanks to Jeremy Siegel for joining me this week as he's done so many weeks this past year. Jenny Ament is our senior producer and Irene Noguchi is our executive producer. To stay up on the latest on the pandemic, you can sign up for Politico Pulse, the morning newsletter that I co-author with Adam Kankern from Politico's health team. And also be sure to subscribe to Politico's Pulse Check on your favorite podcast app. I'm Dan Diamond. Thanks so much for listening.